If you have your Bibles, please take them now and turn with me to uh, the book of Numbers. We're going to go back to Numbers this morning for our sermon. Numbers uh, chapter 7. In Numbers chapter 7. This involves uh, the dedication offering uh, of the leaders for the altar when the, at, the, at, the rebuild, at the building of the tabernacle. So uh, it is a long chapter, and it's a long chapter. And uh, this morning as we come to this passage, um, it is, there is there's much repetition. And if you remember the word of God was, was written uh, down, and many people did not have the, the written word for them. So the word of God, uh, especially as recorded by Moses, was regularly read out loud publicly. And so the, as people would hear the word of God, they would, uh, they would be able to understand and what the purpose of the word of God, what it was trying to accomplish in their lives. And so that's why in this passage we see so much repetition. And uh, even though yeah, I know you can read it, but I want to uh, read it for us in its entirety at the, at the beginning of our sermon. And that means uh, I'll have less time to do the explanation of the Word of God, but the reading of the Word of God is, is so much better, even better than my explanation. My explanation being, fine, being a, possibly a error, having error, but God's Word has no error. So I want to read for us all of chapter 7, and just try to, as you listen to it read, um, cons- uh, think about how it would be to be the people of God in, in, in wandering in the wilderness, hearing this word as it was read to you um, by, by Moses or by the leaders of Israel, okay? Numbers chapter 7. We read this, this is the word of God. Now on the day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it with all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. He anointed them and consecrated them also. Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of the father's households, made an offering They were the leaders of the tribes. They were the ones who were over the numbered men. When they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders and an ox for each one, then they presented them before the tabernacle. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Accept these things from them, that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting, and you shall give them to the Levites, to each man according to his service." So Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. And four carts and eight oxen he gave to the sons of Merari, according to their service, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. But he did not give any to the sons of Kohath, because theirs was the service of the holy objects which they carried on the shoulder. The leaders offered the dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed, So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. Then the Lord said to Moses, Let them present their offering, one leader each day, for the dedication of the altar. Now the one who presented his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab, of the tribe of Judah. And his offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one years old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Aminadab. On the second day, Nathanael, the son of Zuar, leader of Issachar, presented an offering. He presented as his offering 
one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Nathanael, the son of Zuar. On the third day, it was Eliab, the son of Helon, leader of the sons of Zebulun. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one young bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helon. On the fourth day, it was Eliezer, the son of Shadir, leader of the sons of Reuben. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One gold pan of ten shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Eliezer, the son of Shadir. On the fifth day was Shalumiel, the son of Zerishadai, leader of the children of Simeon. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Shulumiel, the son of Zerishadai. On the sixth day, it was Eliasaph, the son of Duel, leader of the sons of Gad. And his offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Eliasaph, the son of Duel. On the seventh day, it was Elishama, the son of Amihud, the leader of the sons of Ephraim. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Elishema, the son of Amihud. On the eighth day, it was Gamaliel, the son of Pedazer, leader of the sons of Manasseh. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Hadazer. On the ninth day, it was Abidin, the son of Gideonai, leader of the sons of Benjamin. 
His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of the fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, and one male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Abidin, the son of Gideon. I. On the tenth day, it was Ahiazar, Ahiazer, the son of Amishadai, leader of the sons of Dan. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour, mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels, full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old, for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the, for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Ahiezer, the son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day was Pegiel, the son of Akron, leader of the sons of Asher. His offering was one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, and for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Pegiel, the son of Akron. On the twelfth day, it was Ahira, the son of Enan, leader of the sons of Naphtali. His offering was one silver dish, whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Ahira, the son of Enan. This was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. Twelve silver dishes, twelve silver bowls, twelve gold pans, each silver dish weighing 130 shekels, and each bowl 70. All the silver, the utensils, was 2,400 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The twelve gold pans, full of incense, weighing ten shekels apiece, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans, 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offering, 12 bulls. All the rams, 12. The male lambs, one year old, with their grain offering, 12. And the male goats for a sin offering, 12. And all the oxen for the sacrifice of peace offerings, 24 bulls. All the rams, 60. The male goats, 60. The male lambs, one year old, 60. This was the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. Now when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice speak to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim so he spoke to them this is the word of god amen as a new christian in college i began attending a church a worship service in a local church uh nearby I actually had attended as an unbeliever first and then became a believer but I, uh, along the way, I, I started attending the little worship services on a regular basis. Attending church as a new believer is a bit odd. It's, it's already strange and foreign when you're, when you're a non-believer. But even as a new believer, it was a bit odd. 
I didn't know the songs that were sung. I didn't know where the books of the Bible were whenever they say turn to Leviticus. Where's that? I had to use my table of contents quite a bit during those early days. I didn't know uh, uh, what the pastor, hardly what the pastor was talking about each Sunday, even though he used Bible terms that I was not familiar with. And it was, and it was especially awkward whenever during it was offering time and the plate would be passed and I, I really wouldn't know what to do with it, you know? Sometimes feeling guilty, sometimes feeling I should put something in, sometimes thinking, well, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, I'm just passing it on. But the most difficult thing about worship as a new believer was that it occurred every week, every Sunday without stop. There was not even holidays that you would not go to church on that day, a holiday. You know, no such thing. I was not used to, uh, <clears throat> to the liturgy of church services. I was not used to uh, waking up early on Sunday mornings to attend the services. And I recall a moment as a young Christian when I was wrestling with this idea. Do I really want to attend worship services every Sunday for the rest of my life? The rest of my life. Every Sunday, school, I was in college at the time, comes to an end, right? When you graduate or when you quit. Work comes to an end at some point when you retire. But worship services never end. Unless you count death. But, well, that ends everything. In my wrestling, I I had thought about all all the other things I could do on Sundays. I could travel. You know, he said, hey, I was a young man. I could go to Vancouver on, on a whim if I wanted to with my friends. I could uh, sleep in, sure. I could watch uh, local NFL games on TV. And as much as I like to do those things, I could not get around in my head that as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, worship of the Lord was important. And so I decided that I'd continue to attend the worship service in my church, and that decision has carried me to this point today. Perhaps you've wrestled with this very similar thought at some point in your life. Perhaps you're wrestling with it now. Do you really want to attend worship services every Sunday for the rest of your life? And especially you might think of that on rainy days like today. For the Christian, for the follower of Christ, for the people of God, the worship of the Lord is a priority for us every Sunday for the rest of our days. Worship services, worship identifies, unifies, and blesses us as the people of God. And today's passage that we look at, it's a long passage, but the lessons are pretty basic and fundamental. They're elementary. Today's passage serves to unify God's people around our common allegiance to the worship of the Lord. It does so by taking the people of God back to a very significant moment in their history of God's chosen nation of Israel, the day when the tabernacle was completed. This event is recorded in detail in Exodus chapter 40, but this event recorded here in number 7 actually takes place one month before the events in Numbers chapters 1 through 6. In these chapters, the Lord had Israel, and basically in those chapters, Numbers chapter 26, the Lord had Israel number the soldiers, number the priests, he gave them instructions for how to, how to camp, how to march as they headed toward the promised land. He also taught them how to be holy when sin defiled them or when they wanted to devote themselves voluntarily to the Lord's service. Numbers 7 through 9 now take, uh, our, go, uh, take the people of God back one month and focus on those initial elements of the worship of God that were not recorded in the book of Exodus or Leviticus. 
but nevertheless, we learn about them here. Although chronologically they take place prior to chapters 1 to 6, their placement here indicates that they were recorded for future generations to read, just as we've read it today. And its place here in the, in the, uh, in the canon is intentional by God so that there would be, observed, there would be a clear contrast between what has just taken place, particularly at the end of chapter 6. The, the, the place of this passage here, 7 through 9 particularly, remind God's people as they're about, they just got to receive the instructions, they're going to head towards the promised land, it reminds God's people of their unifying commitment to worship the Lord, of how they started when the tabernacle was built. This is how you started. It's, always remi- it's like reminding, as you're about to head out, this is what you rem- I need to remind you, this is how you started. You started well. Continue this way. Don't stray from this way. This morning, as an outline there, we're going to look at this passage, and we're going to draw three lessons. Three lessons from the dedication offering of the altar that remind the people of God of our priority to worship the Lord. And when they read this, they would have been reminded to worship the Lord, that that's their priority. All right? And that, and hopefully it reminds you and me today that this is our priority too. And our first lesson that we learn from this passage is, is our free will offering in the worship of the Lord. Verse 1 provides the setting for us. It indicates the tabernacle was finished. It was anointed. It was consecrated for the worship of the Lord, along with all its furnishings. And according to Exodus 25, as well as Exodus chapter 35, the Lord had commanded that a contribution to the Lord be taken uh, for everything required for the building of the tabernacle. Right? And everyone who had a willing heart had gave to the contribution, and it, was, and, and it was so much that even Moses had to command the people to stop giving. Don't give anymore. And so with that offering that they had received at that moment, the, temple, the, uh, those, the skilled workmen used it to build the, the tabernacle, build the tent of meeting, and it was completed. And they had more than enough to complete the tabernacle. And although no command was given for any additional contribution, we see here in verses 1 to 11 that the leaders of Israel come with a new offering, an an offering that was not commanded nor invited. It was a free will offering from the leaders of Israel. They gave it freely, not commanded nor invited to do so. They brought their offering to the, the altar on the the day that the tabernacle was built. The leaders first, if you notice, initially they brought six carts and 12 oxen. Two oxen to pull each cart. Now Moses, he might have been wondering, well, I I didn't command you to bring this offering. I don't remember the Lord telling me to tell you to bring this offering. He might have been not sure. And so the Lord, you notice the Lord speaks to Moses at this moment. So they said, hey, it's okay. This is an acceptable offering. The Lord told Moses to accept that offering and then to distribute to the, the Levites. Two carts, four oxen were given to the Gershonites, you remember, who were responsible for carrying the, the curtains as well as the coverings for the, all, all, uh, the things that hang from the framework. And, they were, and then four carts and their oxen were given to the Merarites who were responsible for carrying, they were given more because they were responsible for carrying the framework, all the poles, the sockets, the, bo- the beams uh, for the tabernacle. Notice that none were given to the Kohathites because although they were responsible for the most holy of the objects of the Lord, they were to carry them on their shoulders. God had designed in them, in the design of those objects, that there would be poles that they would use to carry it. And that would become significant later on uh, in the Old Testament uh, stories. 
the leaders, however, came and the leaders, and so the leaders brought this offering. But the leaders were not really not done. Even after giving the carts and the oxen for the work of the, the tabernacle for the Levites, in verse 10, the leaders further offered a dedication offering for the altar as well. So they gave an offering to, for the Levites, to, for the Levites to use, but they also gave an offering to the altar to, to be used, to be offered up, basically, at that moment. And once again, Moses is like, well, I didn't command you to bring this offering. And this, and this, this is important because, you know, we, we don't want to do things for the Lord that he necessarily didn't ask for, right? And so it, it's like, say, Nadab and Behu offering strange fire and then getting killed for that. So here they are bringing this offering, and the Lord again speaks to Moses, instructing him to how to then present the offering. And he tells them one leader per day was to present their dedication offering. And that would be detailed in the next section. But the main lesson from this that we draw out is this, that the actions of the leaders of Israel, these are leaders who represented the tribes, each leader represented each tribe, they set an example for the people of God. These leaders gave to the Lord what was neither invited nor commanded, but was in accordance with the various, with the various offerings that had already been instructed in the book of Leviticus. They gave of their own accord. They gave spontaneously. They gave generously. They gave freely. And of course, what, they'd give, give, what they gave was what the Lord had given them. Remember, it was out at, when they left Egypt that the Lord had caused the Egyptians to give them all the gold, silver, and clothing to the Israelites so, so that these Israelites did not leave, though they were a nation of slaves, they did not leave empty-handed. They, lay, they left Egypt rich with wealth. The leaders offering to the Lord reflected their understanding that everything they had their gold, their silver, their clothing, and especially their lives were given to them from the Lord. God gave them these things, and when they gave it back, they acknowledged that God had given them all these things. They willfully gave of themselves for the worship of the Lord. And that's the lesson for the people of God. And we too, as the people of God, ought to give ourselves freely to the worship of God. All that we have, our, our possessions and our lives, our souls, are from the Lord who delivered us and we ought to freely give of our lives to the worship of him. It's no mistake that despite the chronological difference, number seven follows number six, 24 to 27. That great bless, the priestly blessing, it's because Israel was blessed by the Lord. The natural response of the people of God is then to worship him. Brothers, sisters, as you recognize God's blessing and you're saving you, do you give yourself freely? Do you give of your, freely of yourself to the worship of the Lord? Or do you, do you like, oh, Lord, I'm coming and you owe me, you know? I better, see a, I better get a, a 49ers victory this week, you know? I used to think like that, uh, you know, but I had a different football team in mind. If I go to church, my football team will win. We give freely. That's, it's no bargain. Like, oh, Lord, if I do this, I scratch your back, you scratch my back. No, we let us give ourselves freely to the worship of the Lord. And if you have given yourself, your life to the Lord in worship, then you can give your money and you can give your praises and you can give your deeds and you can give uh, your, uh, your time. That comes down to all of this reminds us that is the worship of the Lord a priority in our lives? And before you respond out of guilt if they think oh i mean i should i should uh, uh let me just encourage you to respond out of love to reflect and set out of guilt reflect upon the blessings of the lord the lord has blessed you the lord keeps you the lord shines his face upon you 
The Lord is gracious to you. The Lord lifts up his counts upon you. The Lord gives you his peace. Will you not, because of all that, through Jesus Christ, worship the Lord? Yes. Let us worship him freely, eagerly, voluntarily. That's the first lesson. The next lesson we can take to heart from the dedication offering is our equal part in the worship of the Lord. Our equal part in the worship of the Lord. And this, this spans for the, the bulk of this chapter from verse 12 through verse 88. So in response to God's instruction, beginning that first day, one leader a day came to the tent of meeting and made their offering before the altar. And all that they offered was sacrifice in accordance with, with the law. It was either burnt up or, or, or you know, given to the priests in, a, in, a, in a port, appropriate ways. And then even, and some of it, particularly with the peace offerings, would have been shared with those who had offered it. So the order in which these leaders comes, uh, uh, in which these leaders approach, follows the order of chapter 2. If you recall, the, the camping order differed from the order of the numbering of the soldiers in chapter 1, because there in chapter 2, Judah became uh, received a primary position in the, na- in the nation of Israel. Even though he was only the fourth-born son of, Jude, of Jacob, he was given the first place. And that is because we remember there that from Judah would come all the future kings of Israel and ultimately the future Messianic king. So day one, the leader of the tribe of Judah came and presented his offering. On day two, the leader of Issachar came and presented his offering, and so on and so forth until day 12, when the leader of Naphtali came and presented his offering. Each day, each leader brought their offering. Each day, each leader brought, you'll notice, if hopefully you caught, you, caught, you caught it, an identical offering. No one offered anything different. They all had somehow con- uh, discussed, talked about it together, and they all decided to bring an identical offering, and very, even in the identical offering, there is, there is full of uh, ritual detail in them. There's um, uh, those details that we, we don't have time to go into this morning, but the list is simple. It's one silver dish, one silver bowl, both filled with fine flour mixed with oil. Those were offered to be offered as a grain offering. One gold pan full of incense, incense to be offered daily and day in, day and night at the, at the, alt, at the, uh, the, the altar of incense where, as symbolizing the prayers of God's people. One, uh, one bull, one ram, one male lamb for a burnt offering, symbolizing the, the totality, all, the totality of, of uh, the, sacrifice of, uh, uh, the sacrifice of their lives for the Lord. One male goat for a sin offering, the, the payment, uh, the reminder of the payment that would be required before the sin of God, because of our sin nature. And then for the peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs. And there's an abundance because the peace offering, after being offered, was the only offering that would be shared with others. It would be something that would be celebratory, it would be shared with the families, the people of God, and all given in appropriate ways. But the question is, why did they bring these offerings? Because they brought these offerings because the leaders understood the purpose of the tabernacle. They understood the purpose of the tent of meeting. It was a place of worship. And so they were needed to bring the appropriate worship offerings. If it was a place for socializing, they could have just brought themselves. If it was a place for eating, they could have brought some food for the potluck. If it was a place for learning, they could have brought their quill and scrolls or even just their ears. If it was a place for selling and buying, they could have brought their goods. But they did not bring those things. They brought their offerings, the sacrificial offerings, because the tabernacle was a place 
for worship. The Lord had taught them back in Leviticus how to worship him through sacrificial offerings. Leviticus 1 to 7 is a, is a very key chapter, a key sex passage within the Old Testament law. For in Leviticus 1 to 7, there God gave instructions to Israel regarding five basic types of sacrifices that they were to make in the tabernacle. They were to offer throughout their days. A burnt offering, grain offering, peace offering, sin offering, guilt offering. And here, all of those offerings were made except the guilt offering because the guilt offering was reserved for when you, when you knowingly transgress God's law. As each leader offered their offerings then, they offered it in according to God's word and it reminded them of the priority of the worship for this place where they offered was a, was a place for worship. The takeaway for the people of God then is found in these 12 men who offered these dedication offerings to the Lord. These leaders, because they represented the Israelites, if their leaders worship God, then they ought to worship God as well. The equal offering of each of these tribal leaders teaches God's people that every member of every tribe has an equal part, an equal responsibility of, I mean, it's not even, but it's an equal privilege in the worship of God. No one is called to worship God more than the others, though they have different roles within their, their, uh, their tabernacle worship. And in the same way for you and I, brothers, to say, no one here is called to worship God more than any other. I'm not called to worship God more than you or more than you. We are all called to worship God in equal part. We're not to say, well, I'm, 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 I'm not going to worship the Lord as much as that person does. We're all to do our part in worship. We're all called to worship him. No matter who you are, if you belong to the Lord, you are to worship him. In spirit and truth, you're to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice and all that that flows from that. Let not a single soul of the people of God neglect their part in the worship of the Lord. That's, that's, the, that's the reminder from, for us as we see each of the leaders bring their equal offerings to the Lord. Everyone has a part. And we glean one final lesson from the dedication offering of the altar. They remind us of the priority of, our, of the worship of the Lord, and that is in verse 89, and that is God's presence. God's presence in the worship of the Lord. In the very last chapter of this ver- the very last verse of this chapter, we read the significant description of God speaking to Moses. Now, after all those offerings, the 12 days of offering, now when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim. So he spoke to him. And this was a fulfillment of what God had promised back in Exodus chapter 25, 21 to 22. It was the significance of the tabernacle was that there in the holy of holies, above the ark of the covenant, between the mercy seat where the two angels spread out their wings, God's presence would dwell, and there he would meet, and there he would speak to Moses. That God speaks to Moses, to Israel through Moses, is already an awesome blessing, right? But the significance of verse 89 is, and the, the, in light of the kind of the, the history, of, uh, considering the history of God speaking to Moses, is, is the location now, in which God speaks to Moses. You think about it, where did God speak with Moses first? On Mount Sinai, burning bush. Remember that? Every, I bet you that's a good CEF lesson. Uh, there's a truth there, God just revealing himself to uh, Moses. 
God's revelation is, is an announcement of his deliverance. And even think about that in terms of the gospel, okay? But then there was, where did God, and it was, to, and when God used Moses to deliver Israel, where did he go next? He dropped those, those same people back to Mount Sinai. It was at that same mountain on Mount Sinai after the Exodus that Moses there again went up to the mountain and spoke to, to the Lord, Exodus 19. But remember the restriction upon the people of God? The people, Exodus 19, 12, talks about how the people had to stand back. They could not go up to the mountain lest they die. They could not touch the mountain. They had to stand a little bit of way as Moses went up to the mountain to speak with the Lord. But we also learn in Exodus 33, verse 7, 9, I'm going to put it up for you. When not on Mount Sinai, if there was a period where they had to wander due to their sin, God would meet, continue to meet and speak with Moses in a tent outside the camp. We see this in Exodus 33, 7 through 9. And for sake of time, I won't read it, but Moses used to meet with God in a tent. They call, he even called it a tent of meeting. It's not the tabernacle, it's, but it was the temporary tent of meeting. And he would go outside the camp. He would set up this tent, and there the Lord, he would go, and the pillar of cloud would come and descend at, the, at that place, and there God would speak with Moses and meet with Moses. So throughout the, up to this point, to the building of the tabernacle, God never dwelt among Israel. He never spoke in the midst of Israel, lest they all die because of their sin, right? He had to speak from a mountain that was holy to get off the same mountain. He had to speak outside the camp and at the tent because if they approached, they would die, and now we see when the tabernacle was completed, when it was consecrated, it all changed. Exodus 40, verse 34 to 35. Then the cloud, which was over the, the temporary tent of meeting, the cloud, the tent of meeting, the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle itself, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. After 12 days of dedication, Moses goes in to finally gets to go into the tabernacle. 12 days, the, the pillar of cloud, the glory of the Lord dwelt there. His presence was all of a sudden in their camp. And each day, offerings were made, sacrifices were made in accordance with Leviticus. And the people did not die. Right? Why didn't they die? They went on the mountain, they would die. They'd gone to the tent that was outside the camp, they would have died. But now they don't die. And what's more, God is in their midst. God is in their midst. God is in the presence of his people. And he speaks to them, among them. Their sins were now being covered by the offerings that God had instructed them to make. All completely covered on that altar in the tabernacle. And of course, you and I know, brothers and sisters, that all this points, finds its ultimate fulfillment in the New Testament and what John wrote, what's reflected in what John wrote in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as on the only begotten from the, God, from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory that the Israelites saw when the pillar of cloud came and dwelt over the tent of meeting and where God would speak and meet with Moses, that was now Fulfilled in Jesus Christ where the glory of God was, was manifest in this one single man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And in him, 
God's, God met through him, in him. God met with his people. God spoke to his people as Jesus spoke truths of the Lord, from God. And he was full of grace and truth. And people saw and met and worshiped God through and in Jesus Christ. All who belong to him continue to draw near because Christ is at the center of our worship. God dwells in, in the midst of his people, not in this building, okay? When you, if you all left here, if nobody was here, in a sense, God's, God's, there's not like God's glory is particularly here in any sense. But wherever you and I go as his people, God is there for his spirit dwells within us in, through faith in Jesus Christ. And wherever Christ, wherever God's presence is, that is where, remember, um, whenever God's people saw God's glory, do you know what they did? They worshiped because they knew that God was present among them. And brothers and sisters, with those who have believed in Jesus Christ, God is present in among his church and his people. And when we remember this, we ought to respond in worship as well. It's through faith in his death and resurrection, Christ's death and resurrection, that we can draw near and worship of the Lord. And if you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I invite you today for the forgiveness of your sins, that you place your faith and trust in Jesus who died in your place, that you would acknowledge your sin and acknowledge your need for a Savior, that you acknowledge that Jesus is that Savior, that through him you may approach, have your sins forgiven and approach God in fellowship, in worship, and knowledge of him. Well, leave <clears throat> just questions for us, a question for you to think about. The dedication offering for the altar of the tent of meeting teaches us that God's people have our priority to worship the Lord. We, and, and let me just leave these questions for you, for you, for kind of this thoughtful application. Are you giving freely of yourself to the worship of God? How are you doing your part in the worship of the Lord? And are you approaching in faith in the Son who dwells among us in the worship of the Lord? When we come, let us bring our offerings in worship. Let us, let us be, remind ourselves of our, how we began, all of us. Each of us began different places. <laughs> it was a wonderful reminder. It's just even this morning, having Mamie here, reminding us uh, just uh, uh, how her ministry began and how, well, it wasn't the beginning of this ministry. It was beginning, around the beginning of my ministry here as well. We can go back to the beginning and think about, remember how we began walking with the Lord it began probably with worship. Let us continually be a people of worship who prioritize the worship of the Lord, even in the midst of a pandemic. May God be glorified through his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we thank you for this reminder of the priority of worship among the people of God. May you cause us to be a people committed to and dedicated, dedicating ourselves to the, your worship all throughout our days. May all, may all people come to know you one day as your, their Savior and Lord. May, those, and may Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ be magnified all throughout this world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.